Hey there, listeners. You have tuned in to the 963 Universal Frequency, the podcast that connects with people all around the world who are inspiring, passionate, benevolent beings, sharing their wisdom with open hearts, open minds, living their life and being free. I'm the host, Esther Clare, and if you haven't had a chance to listen to the first part of the Golden Ones episode, please check it out when you can. I think you'll find a lot of useful information in the episode, as you will with this one. And I'll just let you know that in the first episode, we discussed dimensions, ayahuasca, earthbound spirits, and so much more. In this episode, we go further into astral travel, kundalini meditation, and plant medicine experiences. We also discuss reincarnation and the Ascension program that Tim offers through his training school. And also we learn about the One World Government from the perspective of Timothy Doyle. I also wanted to bring about awareness to the alkaline foods that Tim mentions in the first episode and we talk a little bit about it in this one as well and i just wanted to bring this up because i have been a vegan for quite some time now and i've noticed a massive change from eating dairy and meat and i i do intermittent fast and i also do the seven day water fast and quite recently i did the seven day water fast and previous to to actually starting the fast i was doing a raw vegan diet then i went on the seven day fast and i ended up doing something quite silly and i don't normally do this i usually introduce foods gradually but in this case i ended up catching up with a friend and going to a restaurant and as the great anchorman saying goes when in rome i decided to get a greasy dish which was a pad thai and I specifically said can I please get vegan and I still ended up getting really sick and I think it was from all the oil and my friend did not get sick at all she was completely fine so I just wanted to bring that up because you know we were talking about alkaline foods and yeah it was just a coincidence that we were discussing that I couldn't eat very well after my um experience let's call it that without getting too personal and um i then started to notice a huge craving for grapefruit and i've always been a huge fan of grapefruit but i had to go out and buy a whole bunch of grapefruit and i just devoured them one by one i even had a craving for alfalfa and i never ever eat alfalfa it wasn't until i got the urge for for alfalfa that i ended up buying some and putting it all on my salads and just eating it by the packet and i found it that well it says that there's a lot of potassium in alfalfa vitamin k so that might explain why i was craving it the lack of uh, potassium after my experience and also red cabbage red cabbage i've always loved red cabbage but i ended up cutting it it was about half a cabbage up in a bowl i put apple cider vinegar in it with some salt and i again devoured the whole bowl and 
I guess, you know, if, if you are somebody that eats a lot of dairy and a lot of meat, you know, I'm not saying that it's not good for you. It depends on your body type. I don't know what's right and what's wrong. I just know what works well for my body. And, you know, perhaps if you are feeling sluggish, tired and you, you, you need an energy boost, why not just cut out the dairy and meat and do a detox, a seven-day water fast and... Um, you, you, you'll notice a difference. I think a lot of people think it's quite hard to do, but maybe just try intermittent fasting first and then start a seven-day fast and and you'll notice a difference. It, you know, I always feel very light. My body always feels weightless. I always feel alert and I get this boost of energy. I always feel energetic when I when I do a seven-day fast. The only The only issue that I have is sleep because I feel wide awake usually on the third third night but you know after a couple of nights of not really being able to sleep very well and then once you start eating again you you do get a good night's sleep so that's probably probably the only downside is that frustration of not being able to sleep at night but anyway I just thought I'd mention that and um, I think that you'll enjoy this one as you will the first episode. And I think I will now play the second part of The Golden Ones with Timothy Doyle. Please enjoy. Welcome back, Timothy. And for those of you that haven't listened to the first installment of our conversation, Timothy Doyle is the founder of the Path to Oneness Training School, which is based in China. And he also offers an array of guidance services online, in specific, the Ascension Masters program, which we will be discussing along with many other topics in this episode. And before we get into all of that, I want to ask you about China's security intelligence and how intense or severe the laws are. A a friend of mine who hasn't been to China, uh, I've actually been to Beijing just as a stopover, so I can't really speak on behalf, but he actually said that China has the highest level of security so facial recognition, when you're walking down the street, you know, the cameras pick up your, your face and they can, can find out all this information about you and there's this credit, credit score system and, and all sorts of things. So I just wanted to, to get your perspective on what it's like in China. I'm sure it's true um, because I've heard that about other parts of the world too, having uh, facial recognition, especially uh, at the soccer match, the World Soccer Cup. They do the same thing there in um, South America. So it's just probably so, but it doesn't, here in China, um, it's very free. It's very free here in China. Um, you're not hassled. I walk around with no identification um, very little money in my pocket. Um, you're not hassled. You're not hassled. You don't have to prove who you are. The police don't bother you. I check in once a year for my visa and I report into the police station once a year. And that's about it. They don't bother me. They, they just, it's very free. 
Um, the drivers here in China are crazy drivers. People <laughs> jaywalk. And the police just don't, they don't bother the people here. They don't. Mm -hmm. Less secure in here than in the United States where um, there's a lot of, um, the police will hassle you in the United States. Okay. Driving too fast, jaywalking, illegal parking, things like that. But they don't do that here in China. They kind wow. of just let you be. A lot of people Very have the free. impression that there's just harsh in their laws and and yeah, no, wow, okay, all right. I, I mean, we we have that in our airports, so facial recognition. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, you have it when you've got your iPhone or your 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 Android, whatever type that you have. It uses your facial recognition, so it it is there. But I had just heard that it was uh, a lot more, I guess, prevalent, a lot more recognized. It's definitely implemented in china and it's it's strict and if you drop some food on the ground and you don't pick it up you you're you get a, a bad credit rating or you get a, a fine it's just the things that i've been hearing about china is full on so that's why i had to ask well china is probably one of the cleanest places um they have um they don't have social welfare, a little bit. They have social welfare for the disabled where they give them a little bit more money um, each month. But um, for other people, they work, uh, street cleaners. There might be you know, a thousand street cleaners and they seem like they're just walking around, but they pay them to clean the streets and the streets are extremely clean. They use the same people for snow removal um, besides their trucks and so forth, the people will go out and keep the streets clean mm -hmm. and the sidewalks clean. They, they just put a lot of people to work and pay them to keep the streets clean, the parks clean, beautiful parks here. So they do a very good job as far as keeping the city clean and uh, beautiful. Okay. So. Oh, it's good to, to get the opinion of somebody that actually lives there and has been living there for quite yeah. some time. So it's good to hear that. That you know, well, maybe not from other people that are, I guess, um, fueling the the rumors that China is very author authoritarian. False, false, false propaganda. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Okay. Um. And so that pretty much leads me to my next question of your thoughts as to the one world government. Well, I think we're eventually going to come to a one world government. Um, but not under how it currently looks like it's going to be organized. I think the one world government will come when there's peace in the world. And I hesitate to say this a little bit, but I think our UN and our NATO countries are all corrupt. Um, they take advantage of um, underprivileged countries and so forth. Even the uh, NATO armies, I understand they go in and they're very abusive and when they go into an area. So I think that that has to stop. And when we get, um, we move the corrupt governments around the world and we get the right, pe the people start voting in the government that represents them instead of, um, and I hate to say this, but the United States is one of the major contributors of, um, corrupt governments, wars, wars feed the bankers. And um, it, it, it doesn't, 
I don't want to give it that it's a political sense, but it is, but it goes hand in hand with a spiritual consciousness. Because if the people are in fear, they do not develop spiritually because your conscious mind can only hold one thought at a time. So if you're worried about fear or inflation or oil prices or lack of food or wars or gangs or crime, then you can't be concentrating on your spiritual development. So people who are eventually, um, people will rise up that they want their freedom, which we're coming into that realization now worldwide against the, the restrictions from the coronaviruses and, and, and it's, it's what's going on in Canada and around the world shutting it down for real no apparent reasons. Masks do not work. They, <laughs> they, uh, there's no scientific proof that a mask will stop a virus. Um, there's no scientific proof, but yet again, they implement these mandates to have control over the people. Mm-hmm. And so that's, um, you know, that's got to stop. That's got to stop. So eventually, one world government, not next year, maybe in about 10 years, 15 years. But eventually, since we're, we're migrating into the age, the golden age, the one world government will come when the golden age is here and people are free to um, pursue their own interests out of um, from the, the spirit of their being about what they want to do and not what they have to do. So one world government will eventually will come. 25, 30, 40, 50, 100 years, eventually it will come to the planet or to earth, at least to earth. But we've got to go through that growing stage now where we get the 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 leaders that are coming from a consciousness of what's good for the people and not what's good for their pocket. So um, that'll come eventually, but we got to grow. It's, it's a growing process. I wanted to hear your thoughts on those people that believe in our world leaders. So the people that think those in our government are actually doing a good job. Oh, come on. <laughs> there, there are, believe me, there are. I, and I know conservatives, people that uh, they have really well-recognized occupations. So, you know, they, they're in medical industry and and they're good people. They're, they're smart, but I don't know if they're really catching on to what's happening. But they, they, they think what's being done is right. Like this is the best approach. What would, what what? Do you, <laughs> wearing masks, having these mandates, you know, there, there are people out there that actually agree with it and think it's the best thing for the people. Well, all right, let's just say that the news in the United States is, um, is not a open to, um, open uh, news. It's, it's prejudice. It's, it's, it's against, I don't know, I can't think of one world leader that stands out um, that's, that is a good world leader. Um, I look at Canada with Trudeau, United States, uh, Mexico, England, uh, Macron in France, um, maybe in some of the smaller countries, uh, maybe in Europe. But um, 
uh, I really, I really can't say that there's one. The only one who I thought was really making a difference was Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And Donald Trump went against the establishment, the banks, the corrupt governments, uh, corruptions. Um, and what they did is they, they forced him out. They mm-hmm. didn't want him to reveal what's going on. And, uh, so that's why they forced him out. But uh, but Trump will be back. Trump will be back because the world has to change. The corruption has to be exposed. And um, it's it's when we when we moved into the fifth dimension on 21 December uh, 2012, and we went from the third dimension uh, reality to a fifth dimension reality. The vibration of the planet. Uh, increased and and it it reflects into the people and the people are um, vibrating in a higher frequency. So those that are still in the third dimension consciousness where they're thinking about corrupt, well, it's not they don't think corruption, they're just selfish thinking. That thinking's got to go and eventually it will go, but um, it's got to go and eventually it will go. Uh, How long will it take? I don't know, but it will go. But what you have to do is stay out of the fear of consciousness. You've got to just do what you're doing and not, um, there's an old saying what Jesus said, not that I'm a uh, a fan of Jesus. I don't mean it like that. I uh, I don't believe Jesus is the son of God, the only son of God. I think we're all children of God. Mm -hmm. And Jesus was just a, maybe a prophet. But he says, give unto Caesar what is Caesar and give unto God what is God. So you pay your taxes. If there's a mandate by the government, you follow the government. But um, you do what's in your heart. You have to follow your heart and uh, do what's right. Do what's right for your own soul growth and not do it for any other reason. Do it for the love of your heart, the expression of your spirit and the oneness of creation, which is why we're here. Right. And what what if people don't actually know who they are? How can they, how can they find who they really are and feel what they really feel? Because there's a lot of, I guess, persuasion. There's a lot of false media, as we had discussed before. And so... I know you had mentioned that, you know, go with your heart, but what if somebody doesn't know how to go with their heart? What if there are people out there that don't really give it the time of day? They don't really perceive it as an important thing. They care more yeah. about gaming and <laughs> looking <Yeah>. good. And <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, you know, that's just a reflection of where they are in their spiritual development. Mm-hmm. Uh, the early stages of your spiritual development you're in that, um, that environment where you look out for yourself and so forth. You're not interested in your, your soul development. But eventually, something will trigger something within you that opens up your, your purpose. We're, there's a code. Uh, we're programmed inwardly. We're programmed to what feels good for our soul. And when we're in the early stages of soul development, that's not that doesn't come out because we're we're more concerned our consciousness is is on what's good for me and not what's good for my my family and so once it, you 
you trigger that, that ah, I've got to be responsible. Maybe it's love. Maybe when a person really falls in love with someone and they really want to make a difference, does their heart open up to really wanting to do something for someone else? Until you want to do something for someone else, you're, you're, it's difficult for you to express love. Um, and once you go outside of yourself to, to really want to make the difference with someone, um, then your heart opens up. And when your heart opens up, it opens up your responsibility to a wife, a husband, children, schooling, uh, what's good for the children, and so forth. So it's, it's got to be genuine love for someone other than yourself, where you put someone else uh, becomes more important than yourself. When that happens, I think, I believe, then you start to progress in life. Then you start progressing in life. And you stop, you know, these people that think that the government's doing a good job, they're listening to one news station or they're listening, reading one newspaper, they're, they're reading the, the editorials. They're not really looking for the truth. They're just mimicking what they're hearing from the fake news or the biased media or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I can't really see if there's one, one person out there that's really making a difference in the world where the, the people really support them. Um, I don't know about the uh, Scandinavian countries up in Norway and Sweden, how, how they're being operated and so forth. But I, from what I read, they, they have difficulties too. So mm. I think that, you know, until that happens, until some of the people vote out the corruption, <laughs> then um, we're still going to continue to have what we're having. Mm -hmm. So. Okay, great. I wanted to also ask you about astral travel and mm. your knowledge in that. Um, the, there's, there just seems to be a lot of different types of out of, out of body experiences. And I wanted to get your thoughts on the difference between lucid dreaming and astral travel and out of body experiences. Are they the same as astral travel? Can you dream <laughs> an astral travel? Well, you know, I had an ex only just one experience of being out of the body and one experience of astral travel. Uh, and neither one of them was, uh, I didn't plan either one of them. I have tried lucid uh, dreaming before, but uh, I just seems like I just laid in bed for a long, long time <laughs> and not going any place. So I sort of gave that up. But the one time I had a uh, out of body was during uh, meditation back in the seventies when I, uh, when I just started to meditate, I was only meditating for maybe about a month or so, two months, and uh, I activated my Kundalini uh, energy in the root uh, chakra, and it just sort of like activated all the chakras and went from my root chakra to my second chakra to my, my solar plex chakra to my heart, and then um, I had this experience um, where I, I spiraled out of my body. 
So that was that was an out of body experience. And when I came out of my body, uh, I realized the first thought that came into my mind was I'm consciousness. Not that, you know, I'm just consciousness is what I am. And then I didn't know where to go. Unfortunately, I didn't know where to go or how to use that energy. I could have done a lot of things with that, but I guess I wasn't meant to be. I just needed to experience it being out of the body. So I asked my teachers to uh, return me because I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what to do or anything like that. So as soon as I gave out the thought, um, please return me to my body, uh, I, I despiraled back into my body. When I astral travel, I was in uh, Peru and I, uh, I used to go to Peru once a year for five years to um, do the ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. The ayahuasca was, uh, it's plant medicine and it was probably the best spiritual training uh, my teachers could give me because when, you're, uh, when you indulge in that pla uh, plant medicine, you, they teach you, they teach you the secrets of the universe and so forth. And that's where I got a lot of my training from the plant medicine, uh, uh, drinking the ayahuasca in Peru. But we also drank um, wachumi. What, uh, the ayahuasca is an internal plant medicine and the wachumi is something to open up your feeling bodies, your emotions and feelings to make you more open to the sensations of your environment of nature's and hearing a bird sing and the beauty of a flower and so forth. So I believe I was in Chavin, which was one of the holiest cities in, uh, in Peru. And we drank um, Wachumi that day. And then at night about 11.15, I got up to go to the bathroom and I came back and laid down, and as soon as I laid down, my astral body got up out of the bed, and I started walking. I took five steps, and as I got out of my astral body, as I was touching things, saying, yeah, I'm actually out of my body, and then I took about five steps, and I was in another world. I was in another world, and I was greeted by this one lady who, who I can't remember what she said, but she greeted me. And then two other ladies came up and said, ah, we knew you would be here by the end of the month. This was January 24th. And they said they knew I was going to be there before the end of the month. So they started telling me things about, um, I, the name of the place was, it was the world where the sun shines before the dawn. All right, there was the name of this place. They were dressed like the 1800s, old fashioned clothes and the buildings were old fashioned and so forth. Um, I was down in Tasmania back in 2012 and Tasmania, um, the buildings in Tasmania are, looks like they were built a uh, hundred years ago. And then I went down to the prison and the southern eastern border, they have a prison down there. I forget what the name of the prison is, but we went on a ghost walk down through there, which, which was pretty interesting. So when I astral travel, I talked to these ladies and um, they started telling me things about my life. And it was kind of funny because I was in, 
in a bedroom or in a room and the wife that I was with in Shaveen was also in this world. And I thought it was kind of funny, like uh, multi-dimensional personalities, people. And, I, and they was just brought to my attention that here she is, she's back in Shaveen, but I see her sitting here. So there was like an aspect of her in this world too, mm-hmm. which kind of thought, are we all over the place? Do we have a consciousness or uh, a multi-dimensional body, spirit that's all over? Mm-hmm. Well, anyways, that, that was just a quick observation. And they were telling me about my life and so forth. And then they told me I should have, uh, I should eat fish and bananas. And I thought, okay, fish and bananas. All right. So I, we went on and as we start walking and talking, uh, there was one man there that was in communications with ants. Now this sounds crazy. And the ants were telling him something and he was trying to foul these ants. Uh, they're, they're talking and the people didn't believe him. They thought he was crazy and so forth. And there was just a little side note. I know crazy. Um, well, to me, it was crazy because I haven't had that experience of dealing with ants. Um, so they told me about the fish and banana diet. And then things started to get foggy. And um, I was starting to lose consciousness of where I was in that planet and I came back and I think I was, it seemed like I, w- I was there for like two and a half weeks, three weeks. And I came back and it was like, I was gone for 15 minutes. And when I came back, um, I say, I came back in my body. Uh, my wife says, oh, you're back. And I says, yeah, I says, she says, I knew you left. And I thought there was, well, she was, she was intuitive. So she knew I went someplace. And so the next morning at breakfast, I had breakfast with my, my shaman uh, teacher. Uh, his name was Howard from, uh, from the United States. Uh, he married a Peruvian girl there. And uh, he was a scientist, a, a Delta botany and plant medicine. And I said, Howard, I, had, I traveled last night. I astral traveled last night and I went to this place and I told them about it. I says, they told me to eat fish and bananas. And he says, oh, that's the ayahuasca diet, which I didn't know. So they told me, so they told me something that I would share to confirm that I went someplace and it wasn't just a dream. I didn't think it was a dream. I knew it was real. I knew I was out of my body and so forth. But it was just something, uh, a little bit of a confirmation to myself and uh, maybe to Howard to let him know that I actually did astral travel. So that was it. But it was just one time. And it wasn't, uh, I, I know people can astral travel and they go places. Um, I had a cousin uh, or a nephew that astral travels. And he travels to a place where there was monkeys and he would bring these entities back attached to him when he came back. It's like having a monkey on your back. I I know there's an old saying that uh, you got a monkey attached to you, meaning that, you know, you got something bothering you, you got a problem. But he would actually say these monkeys would attach to him 
and he would have difficulties coming back with a monkey attached to the back of him. Wow. So just my, <laughs> my only experience as there was just one. And I think that was just to give me a flavor of what goes on in the universe and what you can do. That's, that's like, that's not important to me to astral travel. Um, I have traveled before in my sleep um going with uh entities to show me something but um i wasn't actually consciously aware where i got up out of my body and uh went someplace and talked with anyone um without being um joining three entities and going someplace and learning something about thought so so would you say the reason why we, as in all people, have this capability of expanding our consciousness and why do some people experience more than others, regardless of their belief and the intention to actually astral travel and, and lucid dream, why is it that some people would just, they've got it, they've just connected and others need to, to go on this huge journey to discover it? Maybe it helps them in understanding who they are or an aspect of their being, or maybe they're, I, um, I, uh, I went to the Monroe Institute in Maryland and James, I think his, his name's James Monroe. He had a lab there and you could listen to recordings that would put your mind in um, to a state of mind that would would indicate to you um, where you were in a previous carnation. And I would listen to his tapes and for a long, long time, um, uh, hemisync, they're called hemisync tapes. And I would listen to them um, just to see if there was any value in them and so forth. And I don't know, I can't, actually say that it registered my consciousness to be to another level of something or anything like that. I can't say that. But I do listen to something called uh, a spiritual war warrior. They're, um, they're tapes. Um, it's a 28-minute tape that gives you two hours of sleep in 28 minutes. And I use it to recharge my body. Um, and I listen to it. And I I was doing this for like 10 years and I noticed that my, my awareness of the, my compassion awareness for people in situations heightened. And uh, periodically when I listen to this, it, it does heighten my compassion for, I could, I could look at someone working and start crying because I could, I could feel that they were working for minimum wage, they were working hard, and it was um, uh, uh, maybe reflected on where I was at one point in my uh, 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 fiscal development in my life and how I was uh, working to try to uh, earn a living and sustain a family and so forth. So it was pretty, it was pretty, I found it useful because it opens up your, your feeling body 
And your feeling body is essential to expressing your spirit. Um, when your feeling body is open, you're more likely to express compassion, love, gratitude, appreciation um, for the things in your life. And that is, that's important to self. And it's also important to other people uh, to show your appreciation for what they do, to let them know that they have value yep. and you appreciate their value and respect for who they are. And um, it's sort of like, um, you know, the birds and the bees mm -hmm. uh, working together to, for pollination. It's like part of the oneness of creation. So. Mm -hmm. Ayahuasca and other plant-based medicines is extremely difficult to come by in many countries, especially here in Australia. It's illegal, as is DMT. It's DMT is, is pretty much banned all over the world. As a natural medicine plant, have you, in your experience, ever suffered any effects during or after? It's a plant medicine and... Um... What it does is it just gets you in touch. It's a cleansing. It's a healing plant. It cleans, it cleans aspects of your body that might uh, take many incarnations for a soul to, to, to go through and, and cleanse. For example, um, while I was under the ayahuasca, there was one drinking that I was in pure agony. I sat there for two hours and there was pure agony in my body. And I couldn't, uh, I sat there and I, I questioned myself. I says, why am I feeling this? I says, there's nothing scaring me. I'm not afraid of anything. Why is my body experiencing this agony? And, uh, the next day I talked to Howard about it and I says, Howard, I says, you know, I never knew what agony was. If someone says, you know, oh, I'm in pain, I'd say, okay, fine. I don't know anybody that would say I have experienced agony or even know what agony felt like until I was in this ayahuasca. And I experienced it once then and I experienced it later on um, in a conversation with someone where I could not speak. I had to hold my tongue in the agony. I felt there was the same agony that I felt in um, the ayahuasca. And what I learned through my teachers is that when you were born with God characteristics in our solar plexus, they're stored in our solar plexus. So in other words, we have um, we don't just have love in our heart. Um, the God characteristics that someone is born with, being created in the image and likeness of God, they're in their raw form. So in other words, um, let's say that love, uh, let's, let's say peace, peace, peace. All right, let's say, let's take peace. And let's say in its raw form is um, anger. And what happens through life is that a soul, that anger in your, 
in your solar, solar plexus, your feeling body, has to migrate through the body. And this is the purpose of why we have physical bodies. Has to migrate from your feeling body through the nerve centers. And there's probably, I don't know, they say there's a million nerve centers in the body. And that anger has to find the right nerve path from your solar plexus to the brain. And once it gets to the brain, it's converted into your consciousness. It's converted from anger into peace. So during that journey of that one emotion, uh, it may take many incarnations. However, if you sit there and endure the agony, you can convert a a raw emotion to the brain in hours. So it saves many incarnations for the, for the journey of that emotion. Mm. So if you go to a psychiatrist and someone says, you know, I, I get angry with my husband, they'll say, oh, well, take, take your fist and punch a pillow or something like that. That's the worst thing you can do. Mm. Um, the best thing you can do is just sit in a meditated state and endure the agony of wanting to release that uh, anger, but you don't release it. You let it find the nerve pathway from your solar plexus to your brain. And that's the fastest way to convert a raw emotion into a God feeling. Um, I tell, I tell, um, feelings are from God, emotions are from man. People get the two of them mixed up that, oh, I have this, this emotion of love. No, that's a feeling of love. Emotion might be anger or hate or impatience, but then it turns in, once you, once you cultivate it and you discipline it, it becomes a God feeling and not a man emotion. You, you transition it from an emotion into a feeling. So that's what was the teaching of the agony and the ayahuasca was. Um, but it took me a little while to, to piece it together to comprehend why and so forth. And later on, I had to experience it uh, a second time. And then I was told why. Why would you think that such a plant wouldn't be legal all over the world? <laughs> <laughs> well, because the world does not, this, this is a, as we told you, it's a training school. So there's aspects that they do not want the people to spiritually develop. Because if everyone develops spiritually, there's no control over the people. You don't have control over someone that is spiritually awakened. I mean, it's like you can threaten them, but it's like, okay, no big deal. But people that are, that are, you control the masses through fear and war and poverty and, and police brutality and, and restrictions and taxes and things like that. You control, the, you control the spiritual development of people. And that would be the spiritual development of people would kill the corruption, the corrupt government in this, on this planet. Now, it's going to come eventually. Um, how soon? Of course, we'd all like to see it come sooner, but it's, it's, 
We have to be patient. Be mm. patient. You were talking about meditation before and kundalini. Can you explain to the listeners what kundalini is? Mm. Kundalini is an energy force that's in the root of your, 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 it's in your root chakra. It's an energy force. And um, many people, I didn't realize, I didn't realize what this was uh, when I started to meditate. I, I didn't even know what, what ayahuasca was before I took it. And when I started to meditate, I didn't know anything about chakras or kundalini or anything like that and so forth. I just knew that for the love of God, when I went into, and I think why I had the Kundalini experience where this energy came up from my root chakra, and when it came up, um, it opened up all my chakras um, when I started to meditate. In my root chakra, I started seeing colors, beautiful colors blues and purples and greens, colors I couldn't see on the earth here. They were just beautiful colors. And then um, after that, that lasted maybe about a couple of weeks. And then I continued meditating and, and started looking for the colors and so forth. And then I would see numbers. And then I knew that numbers meant something. Like if I went to the racetrack, uh, the number six would be, and I'd, I'd watch to see if the number six horse would come in. And of course it came in a few times and so forth. So I was aware of my intuition and colors appearing in my, in my daily life. Uh, I won't say my daily life. Uh, the colors were just in my meditation. Uh, and then in meditation, I would start um, feeling uh, in my second chakra, which is your uh, genitals, uh, I'd start to feel um, sexual energy there, my second chakra. And I'm sitting there and I'm getting these really um, pleasant sexual feelings. And I'm thinking, oh, wait a minute, I'm not even thinking of anything sexual. And I'm getting these feelings. Um, I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, you know, like I said, I didn't know anything about chakras. I just knew I started feeling. Um, sexual feelings, uh, energy flowing through, activating my, my second chakra. So that went on for a couple of weeks. And then um, the next chakra was the solar plexus, third chakra. And I start receiving a, a pulsation, which at first when it started, I thought it was my heart, but it was too low for my heart. It was uh, right below the rib cage. And it would be a, a pulsation. It would just pulse, 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 mm. pulse, pulse. I thought this was kind of interesting. Now, I will say that in all my meditations, I always use the prayer protection to protect myself um, from any outside influences. So anything that I was experiencing, I knew it had to be divine, mm -hmm. right? And my whole intention of meditating was for the love of God. All right. I wanted to be the best servant uh, for God on the planet. That was my desire when I started meditating. I wanted to be the best. And I think, and I truly believe this, that there's a lot of people that try to activate the Kundalini energy in their body. And they say, well, you got to uh, abstain from sex. Yeah. Uh, 
You just have to focus this. You have to eat a special diet. That's all poppycock. Mm. Um, my intention was pure intention was for the love of God. I wanted to be the best for the God, uh, to serve God. And I, I truly believe that was the motivating energy that allowed the Kundalini to rise. I wanted to support my intention of being the best. So after um, the pulsating of the third chakra, uh, I, I, that, and that lasted a couple of weeks, I started to feel an energy and meditation coming into the left palm, Come, an energy coming into my palm, moving up my left arm. And um, I'm sitting there, there's, I've got this pulsation in my solar plexus and I, I'm aware of this energy moving up my left arm. And now I'm starting to hear a noise in my right ear, like a freight train or a tornado. And this, this loud noise is in my ear. The energy is moving up my arm. And now I start to take on this rhythmic breathing, like <laughs> uncontrollable. I'm just sitting there while my body um, is breathing, the noise in my ear, the pulsation in my solar plexus, the energy moving up my arm. And when the energy hit the cavity of my body, um, everything went out and then there was this brilliant light in my mind's eye. Of course, my eyes are closed, I'm meditating. My, my a brilliant, brilliant light. I, uh, I don't know if you know what white phosphorus is. White phosphorus, when I was in the the military was the brightest light I've ever seen. So I've got this brilliant light in my mind's eye and I'm trying to close my eyes because the light's so bright that I'm trying to get away from this light, but I couldn't get away from the light. And it was a brilliant light. And then all of a sudden, that's when I started to spiral out of my body. So in retrospect, that was the raising of the Kundalini from the root chakra to my crown chakra, which led into the out-of-body experience. Mm -hmm. You would obviously be well aware of the serpent story. Yeah. Okay. That's a certain serpent energy, the mm. Kundalini. Because it seems as if the serpent, it's recognized in a lot of countries. So in China, it would be, would be the dragon. Would that be accurate to say? Or here in Australia, I know the Indigenous Aboriginals believe in the serpent as a snake. And yeah. they have a lot of stories about it. What would it be in China? Do they really They don't meditate in China. Oh, really? I thought China would yeah. be. What's their belief system? What's their... They believe, well, there's no... They frown on religion here organized religion okay uh they frown on facebook they don't want anything in here from the western world that will um jeopardize the culture of china now china's culture goes back five thousand years now what they do do there's um in western china uh, there's a city called Dangua, I think it's how you pronounce it, where um, and since it's on the western part of China, um, Buddhism 
came over from the east, from the west, into from the east of Asia into Western China. And there's a lot of, I won't call them temples, but they're buildings where there's Buddha paintings in it and so forth. So the people, it's okay to believe in Buddhism uh, and Buddha. They do have Buddha statues. Kuan Yin, there's a, uh, they'll build a statue of Kuan Yin around mm -hmm. and so forth. But there's, there's not, uh, they, there's temples where there's shamans in the temples, mm -hmm. but it's, uh, and that's acceptable. And there's a church, a Catholic church, and that's acceptable, but it's not something that more um, Buddhisms, uh, Kuan Yin, um, the old teachings, and that's, that teachings came in. I went to Dunghua, and those, those buildings and paintings have been, um, oh, since, let's see, uh, the, the year 200, the year 300. So it's been like 1,500 years ago, 1,800 years ago. So that's acceptable, and the people will recognize that. Um, not that they go to a temples on Sunday or anything like that. It's just like if they're out and there's a temple, they'll go someplace and light a candle and go on their way. It's not like they practice it or meditate it, meditate on it or anything like that. But I will say that the Chinese people are very um, spiritual. Spiritual in a sense where they're truthful, humble, appreciative, um, caring, sharing, and so forth. It's just natural for them to be like this. And um, um, just very honest. You're going in the market and you buy something. No one's there. There might be, out of a, a million people there, there might be one person that will try to gimmick you. Well, most of the people are very honest and loving, honest and humble. My students, very humble, very humble. And it's like very appreciative and very nice, very loving, very loving students. So. Oh, that's good. I can hear a lot of sincerity in your voice when you say that as well. So um, must be true. <laughs> must really it feel connected. <laughs> um, I don't know if you're familiar with, the Anunnaki? Uh, yes, the Anunnaki, yeah. yeah. The serpent and the, the eagle. I have this impression that the Kundalini is in relation to the Anunnaki in some way. And the um, even in the Bible, I mean, I, I went to a, a Catholic high school. I wouldn't say that I'm a practicing Catholic or even a, a Christian, there are parts of the, the faith that I believe in and I take what I think is important to me out of it. But even in the Bible where it mentions about the, the serpent with Adam and Eve, I, I look at that story as in that the serpent was actually giving Adam and Eve free will. I could be wrong, but I, just the way that I interpret it is that the serpent says, why not? Why can't you be like God? Here's a, an apple. If you want to have it, go ahead and have it. It's your decision. Make a choice. That's how I've always looked at it. So I've always perceived the serpent as good. Um, I don't know enough about the eagle to, to have an opinion on it. But, yeah, I, I don't know what your, your thoughts are. I don't know if you have any on that concept. Well, 
The um, I was raised Catholic, and I even attended the seminary in my high school years to become a priest. But I was discouraged by the way the priests treated the students. Mm. They were not holy. <laughs> <laughs> They smoked, they sweared, they yelled at us and so forth. So it didn't give me a good impression of what I wanted to aspire to be. Mm -hmm. So I only spent uh, one year in the seminary and then I left for public high school. Um, the Anunnaki, um, I look at that as, do you know anything about Nibiru? A little bit. Planet X, yeah. Okay. When I was okay. in high school, that they had said that there is this other planet, but it was all myth. So in school, they myth. they actually did have a book where it would point out where it is located, which I thought was very very weird because I think a lot of people say that it's kept from us and that. But in in my school, I remember learning a little bit about it, but it was all myth. Well, there's um, in 2014, my teachers brought me uh, to the attention of Planet X. And I found it very interesting in Planet X, Nibiru. And uh, I looked it up on the internet and there was a, an astronomer, Gil Prasard. So I messaged Gil Prasard <laughs> and I called him up and I talked to him for a long, long time. And um, he shared all his, 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 his teachings with me, his photographs. He studied it for his entire life. And he talked about the astronomers in China and Japan and around the world that tracked the uh, planet X and how often it came and so forth. In fact, planet X is supposed to be, he told me, that when Planet X comes, he was going to go to Israel. And because something special was going to happen in Israel, I don't know what it was, but it was supposed to be some spectacular thing. Well, he left for Israel um, this month. Oh, wow. Uh, he, he's expecting Planet X to come through our solar system um, within a month. Now, I, the fact that he went to Israel and he believes it's coming through, um, I am sort of looking out uh, at the sun and seeing if there's any um, deviations of the sun or anything like that in our solar system. Now, our government is not going to tell us if Planet X comes through. Mm -hmm. When Planet X comes through, it creates a pole shift. The North Pole will shift to the South Pole, or, or it will shift some way, depending on the location of Nibiru when it comes through. For an example, they found in the Siberia, the tundra of Siberia, a herd of mammoths, frozen solids, standing up with tropical food in their mouth. So it was like it switched that quickly from a tropical area to a frozen tundra with just within an hour is all it takes. 
And when it happens, the winds are like on the planet are like, I don't know, two to 300 miles an hour. The waves on the sea are like 75 to 100 feet high. And mostly uh, people living along the coastline will, will cease to exist because the waves will just wipe them out. And supposedly this happened when Noah's flood, this was the reason for Noah's flood was um, Nibiru and wow. other things that happened in the Bible. Uh, and this Gilbert Broussard documented when this happened and so forth and so forth. And it kind of made me a believer of um, Nibiru, the planet X. And I think even the, oh, who are they, Sumerians? Uh, in the Bible, they point to a planet out there that's in the solar system. And there's this couple of people that um, believe that planet X is out there. And maybe even that the Anunnaki's are part of this solar system, that our sun is a twin sun, and that um, Nibiru is part of a planet from this twin sun, that when this twin sun comes back in uh, to her sister sun, that uh, Nibiru comes with her. So mm. is our government going to tell us that? No. It would panic. Of course, it would panic. Of course, it would panic the, pa the planet. Uh, if you came out and says, ah, oh, in uh, three weeks, um, everyone along the water will be uh, drowned. It would cause uh, panic throughout the entire planet. But that may be one reason how corruption is wiped off the planet. I don't know. Possibly. I don't know. Could that be? But I, I could, that, oh, could that be another reason why they've created, oh, actually, I don't know what your thoughts are of this, but the whole climate change and global warming, do you think that is a true thing or do you think that's been created to cover up certain things as well as get money back off the people and exactly okay laundry yeah. money laundry money um global warming they've been saying global warm, warming since 1980 with um al gore when he was vice president and uh saying that in 10 years you know the ice caps are going to melt well that was like 20 years ago the only thing that's going to melt the ice caps is uh, down the in the Antarctica, the ice on Antarctica is a mile high ice. So if something comes through that tilts the planet and Antarctica shifts to a warmer climate, then all that water that's on Antarctica will melt and the sea level will rise, they say, up to 600 feet because that's how much ice is on Antarctica. Mm -hmm. So um, I take all this into consideration on my future living conditions, where I will go if something happens and so forth. Um, and what are you going to do? have fresh water and a place to cook your food and rice and beans um, stored up and so forth. So, so are you prepared? Are you a doomsday prepper? <laughs> well, no, I'm not a, a doomsday prepper, but uh, um, my thinking is always like for the future. 
Like, what am I going to do next week? What am I going to do in two weeks? In fact, if you have any money, invest in gold or silver, because very shortly that's going to take off worldwide. Um, so I'm always thinking about the future and how to prepare for the future, whether it's just, you know, next month or a year from now or sometime in the future my teachers will always take care of me so i'm not concerned about where i'm going to be or anything like that or what's going to happen to me i, I just my things i brought to my attention and i pay attention to them uh and i just pay attention to my thoughts mm. i think i'm probably more of a live in the present type person it's like rock and roll whatever happens happens if i die tomorrow i'm dead <laughs> Yes, which you might, are if you die tomorrow, you are dead. <laughs> which might explain, you know, why I'm probably not where I would like to be in terms of, you know, career-wise and, and everything like that. I do look to the future in terms of how I see myself in the next, I don't know, maybe in the next decade, if I'm still alive, to be travelling the world freely and and just, yeah, living in different countries. But, yeah, at the, at this stage I'm happy just going with it. And whatever happens, why, happens. Why would you not think you would be alive? See, oh, I don't, just, <laughs> oh, I don't just, even think about leaving or dying. <laughs> I, think the, I, I think I related a lot to uh, my, my dogs that I've had because I always would say, oh, you know, my dog, your dog usually lasts you, well, is usually has the lifespan of 10 to 15 years. Mm -hmm. And so I always look at my, my dogs and I, I always think about, oh, if they pass away, how mortified I'm going to be. And that's the first thing I think about when I get an, a, a puppy is, oh, my gosh, I'm going to outlive this dog. And then someone actually said to me, well, you, you might not live out the dog. The dog might outlive you one day. So, And I just took that into consideration. I thought to myself, well, it's kind of true. I might not be around that long. That would be the last thought in my mind that a dog would outlive me. <laughs> I've got a mormid, mormid way of thinking. <laughs> but talking about astrology and um, your friend um, who had told you all about Nibiru, your, your knowledge on astrology, how have you found it relevant to people's life's journey? See, I started astrology, uh, dabbling in astrology. I have four boys, and when they were little, I would dabble into astrology to see um, the personalities of them and what made up the personality and what made up their characteristics and what kind of children would they be and what interests them and so forth. And so not only um, astrology, but numerology. I found numerology and astrology go hand in hand. So I, I long, long time ago, I, I dabbled in astrology and I I hooked up and I found this gentleman that has the best astrology programs in the world. And so uh, I, I purchased this uh, astrology program and um, I keep up with the astrology programs because I find I do it professionally from my website because these are the most accurate um, astrology reports that I have done for people and, and received confirmation that, oh my God, this is so, it tells them people, 
it tells things about the individual that the individual knew, but when you read it about yourself, it really like reinforces what you think about yourself when you read that, you know, you have the scientific mind of a of an engineer and you would be good in engineering and so forth. And then you read and you go, well, I am good in engineering and such and such and such. So I use it, I use these astrology reports with my, my students and uh, my Chinese students here so that I can reinforce in them the qualities and characteristics they're born with to, um, to um, um, build up their confidence in themselves and who they are and so forth. Um, life here in China for students is not very um, rewarding. These kids go to school. Let's see, my, my 12 year old student goes to school at seven o'clock in the morning. They come home at seven at night. Then what? they do two hours. Yeah. Then they do two hours of homework. Most of my students are in the eighth or ninth grade. I won't say most of my students, my older students, they don't go to bed before midnight. They come home, they go to school from seven in the morning to eight or eight in the morning or seven in the morning to eight at night, come home, grab a bite to eat and then do homework till midnight and then get up at six o'clock the next morning. That's their life. That's their life as a student here. And it's, it's I, they just accept it. They don't know what's outside what other people in the world do. They really don't know. Mm-hmm. And it's like very, very, as, as, they, as the student grows up in the grades, um, they go to, they don't get home. I, I live across the street from a high school, number one of the most um, popular high schools. Um, if, you, if you're a really good student, you go to the high school across the street. Those kids are there until 10 o'clock at night. School ends at 10 o'clock at night for the, for the 12th graders. And then they go home and they have to do homework and then they get up the next day. Um, they don't have time. Once the, a, a student gets to like the ninth or 10th grade, they don't have time for an English class. I lose that student uh, to the school because they just don't have time. Too much homework and so forth. And what the kids just went back to school this past Monday and they had their first test. And the purpose of the first test is really difficult. And most of the kids will, won't do well on the test, but it's the philosophy. If you do bad on this test, you'll study harder for the next test. So they're trying to ingrain in the kids. They have to study, 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 study. Uh, so. that's, it's actually well known here in Australia that Chinese people in particular, uh, they're always studying. You go to the Alexander Library, which we have, it's quite well known here in Perth, and you just see them in there, even on a weekend, studying. Um, And sometimes you see them sleeping. (laughs) And you can just tell that they're so stressed. I don't know if if that is a thing in China, because I feel as if if they're studying from seven till seven at night and then not going to bed till late, would they even have time to stress? Or are they? <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's um once in a while a student will commit suicide, will jump out of a window and something like that. Mm. Uh, because the parents, the pressure from the parents 
that they have to get A's. If you don't get a good grade, now not all parents, but most parents want their children to, to get A's. They have to have high grades or else they know that they're not going to do, they believe the child's not going to do well later on in life and have a good profession, get married, be able to provide for the family, yada, 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 yada. So they push the child when they're young and because um, I'll ask my students, I'll say, what did you get in your grades? And they'll tell me, I'll say, uh, and if they get a low grade, I says, how do your parents feel? Is that okay with your parents? And they'll say, yeah, it's okay. I says, okay, as long as your parents, you know, aren't pressuring you uh, on a grade or so forth. Um, and if they do, I'll tell them, well, you'll do well. I, actually, I say, how did your parents do in this grade when they were younger? Did they get all A's and so forth? So I kind of like get them to think that that maybe, you know, it's not all that important to get the best grade to ease it in their mind and so forth. Mm. So I try to comfort the child if they get a bad grade. The culture is so, so different. Uh, in comparison to Australia, we have a high suicide rate in relation to children being bullied. Yeah. Whereas in China, it's more about not getting the best grades. It's yeah, just well, such a difference. Yeah. There's a little bullying going on here, very little though, mm. um, but uh, not to the extent that it's someplace else. It's, it's terrible that they allow bullying to take place um, in the schools and so forth. Well, I'm not a teacher, but emotional intelligence, emotional awareness, if children were somehow taught that at an early age on understanding their feelings and emotions and why they do particular things or think particular things, how, how better the, the child will actually end up turning. I think it would help a lot. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but well, then just understand feelings and emotions and what triggers them and, and all of those types of things. I think if they had that in primary schools up until high school as just like a so, so part of the criteria of the curriculum in some way, it would just be so helpful for not even just for social reasons but aspects but for them to develop themselves in their career and become a better person in society so but yeah yeah uh, I think that if a child bullies another child then that's the, that child that does the bullying something's not right in the home for them to think that it's okay to intimidate another person and if my child was intimidated, I would, I would think I would notice a difference in their behavior to ask them, what's going on? Is something happening at school? How's your grades? What's going on and so forth? So I think it all comes down to the parents. The parents have to take a more active part in the welfare of their children. Mm -hmm. So, And I would really like to to understand the structure and, and dissect the Ascension Masters program? Well, there's four things. We're in the age, the golden age, and there's four things that are essential if you want to overcome death. One, you have to take care of your body. You have to keep your body in an alkaline state all the time because disease can only live in an acidic environment in the body, okay? So you keep your body healthy. 
Next thing you have to do is you have to remove all fears from your light body, all fears and un, all unhealthy feelings towards self and others. Uh, you basically have to adopt a, a God consciousness in how you live your life. But you have to get rid of those, those um, fears and uh, unhealthy feelings. Um, so the ascension, the third thing is, is the prayer of protection. And that's to protect you from unhealthy energies in your home, uh, entities attaching to you, uh, influencing you to do things that you're not aware of that you're doing, that you, you know they're not healthy, but you give in to them and you don't know why. And that's because you're being influenced by um, uh, outside entities and negative, negative energies. And then the fourth thing is the Ascension Master Program. Now, the Ascension Master Program was given to me when I was studying to become a, a metaphysical minister back in woof, 1983. And I always had a good relationship with my teachers where I would talk to them and so forth. And um, they told me to put a ring on my finger. And every time I looked at the ring on my finger, stop and ask yourself, what are you thinking? What are you thinking and what are you feeling? And I thought, okay, so I, on a Monday, I would put the ring on my finger and then on Tuesday, I would change it to another finger and, and so forth and so forth as the week went on. And so as I looked at the ring, as, you know, I was at work and uh, you know, you're at work and you're doing this and you're doing that, you're answering phone calls. And if I noticed, the, if my attention was brought to uh, the ring, I would stop and say, okay, what am I thinking about? And I'd stop and saying, oh, wait a minute. I'm thinking about that lady across the street and why is she, why is she doing that? And then I would say, well, why are you thinking of that lady? What does that lady have to do with what you're doing right now? And I'd say nothing. This is then get that thought out of your mind, concentrate. If, the, if there's a thought in your mind that is negative or unhealthy and it's not positive, not loving, get that thought out of your mind. And at the time, I had to use willpower to get the uh, thought out of my mind. Or if I had a fear or an unhealthy feeling, I would have to analyze it and say, wow, why am I feeling this? And and I don't want this feeling. And so I would use willpower to uh, remove negative fears and feelings out of my body. Um, since then, we have the prayer protection, um, the prayer to remove emotional parasites. Um, and it's on the website. And it's, we talked about these gummy substance on your light body and that are there from carnation to incarnations and so forth. Believe in something that's not true, that stops you from vibrating at a higher frequency. Well, if when you're going through the Ascension Master Program, the whole purpose of the Ascension Master Program is to get you to discipline your thinking into a tune. There's a God frequency in your brain and to attune to that God frequency. And the only way you can attune to that God frequency is if you're aware of all your thoughts and feelings in every moment. Now, 
you may say, well, it's impossible. Well, no, um, because that's what I do. It's like riding a bike. Once you achieve this, it's like you're always in tune to this God frequency. I can be watching a football game and, and seeing what's going on and still listen to this frequency in my mind if they want to tell me something or if they want to bring something to my attention. You're always in tune to this God frequency in your mind. So the Ascension Master Program is a 28-day program where you go through putting a ring on your finger, changing the ring every, um, every day to a different finger, and then as you notice the ring on your finger, stop and think, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? And if there's a fear, remove it with the prayer to remove emotional parasites. Uh, and if it's an unhealthy feeling about self or others, um, again, if you can use the prayer to remove um, it, remove it. If not, then just change your, your thought patterns and get rid of that thought. When I was doing it, uh, I didn't have the prayer to remove emotional parasites, so I had to use willpower. But after about two weeks, I could see a thought coming to me. It was, it was like a bad neighbor ready to knock on my door. You don't, you don't, let, you don't let just any thought come into your mind. Um, you, you put a barrier up. And so after, after so many years of living, you allow thoughts like unwelcome people just walking through your house. That's how these thoughts were. Uh, the how it explained to me. So it says, close the door to these thoughts. So I, I'd see a thought coming. I'd say, no, you're not welcome here. Please move, move. I'm not going to accept you. You're not going to come into my house. I do not want this thought in my mind. And I'd have to use willpower to get rid of it. Well, now you've got the uh, prayer to re remove emotional parasites. I can just do this. This feeling is not mine. This feeling does not belong to me. I release this feeling in love, now and forever. Amen. Poof, it's gone. So that's the Ascension Master Program to, to train you to, to tune into that frequency in your mind, which is it's essential. You need it for your, for your uh, ascension. The universe is constantly communicating with us in every moment, which is not listening. We're not listening. Everything in our life is orchestrated. We're in a training program. Everything in our life is orchestrated. Every person that comes into our life, every experience, it's orchestrated by universal mind to either train us. It's either a karmic debt we owe that we have to do something or it's to, um, to um, develop wisdom in our light body. And that's the whole purpose of this training program. We need to become, uh, in the God consciousness, develop wisdom in our, in our um, light body. That's what God is, wisdom. That's all we, that's all. We don't remember our prior carnations, what we did as a male or female culture. All we know is we developed wisdom. We know it's not right to kill. We know it's not right to steal. We know it's not right to do things. How do we know this? That's the wisdom we learned from prior incarnations. It's not the role we play in this life. It's how we play the role. So very important. The quality that we express in um, who we are. That's the most important thing um, 
who we are. That's beautiful. I love it. You brought up reincarnation. There are some people who record everything about their past lives. I'm thinking of the documentary, um, I think his name's James Linginger. He was born in 1998, I think around age two, he starts remembering his name and the location of where his plane was shot down by the Japanese in World War II. And his parents believed him to the point where they end up taking him to the crash site. And this child, he describes all the events that are actually true that happened to this pilot. Why is it, do you think, that some people remember their past life in such fine detail? It, it's, um, I read a few stories about children that can remember their past lives and so forth. And then they grew out of it. Uh, as they got older, they, they like forgot about it. Um, when, when a child is young, and um, they have playmates. You know, little kids have playmates, spiritual mm -hmm. playmates. Mm -hmm. And the parents say, oh, well, you know, they're just playing around and so forth. No, they're not playing around. They have these spiritual playmates. They remember things. If, if I've, I surmise that if the death is quick and they come back, then their memory is more... Um, vivid than if it's been a while since they reincarnated and so forth. I know that when I went to the Monroe Institute, I had, and I went through the, I think it's James Monroe, um, listening to his Hemisync uh, tapes, that I had visions of me in a prior life. Um, one is um, an Indian warrior in the 1800s one is a i was in in the mountains in china uh as a gardener uh, up high in the mountains uh cultivating my my crop and another one i was a black boy teenage boy in the turn of the century 1900 up in boston and i kind of you know i just aspects of um that and it's, it seems like all three of those carnations sort of is incorporated into who I am now because of, um, I don't know, I was interested in the Indian, Native American Indians in America and the, the spiritualisms of the, of the monks in China and uh, the welfare of the Black people, uh, their, their, their lives and their, what they're going through with slaves and discrimination and so forth. So they were all kind of like incorporated an aspect of that and who I am now and how my, I reflect on things and so forth. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's a lesson to their parents. So maybe the parents didn't believe. And now this child is telling them something and the parents, it, it makes, you know, the parents, relatives open to, oh my God, reincarnation. Maybe they never thought about reincarnation before. Mm -hmm. Now this child proves it to them and stories are written and more people are aware of reincarnation now. So there's, there's no accidents in life. There's no miracles. Everything is orchestrated um, for the experience of the soul 
and who they are and what they need to learn in the moment. All right. That's a clever perspective, Tim. And I would like to thank you again for sharing your wisdom. And how can my listeners find you? It was explained in the first installment, but can you please reiterate? Sure. Uh, the website is www.thepathtooneness.com, all one word. And all the products on the website are free, except for the astrology and re uh, numerology reports. Uh, and uh, the books are free. The programs are free. There's a lot of material out there to assist the individual in discovering who they are. And I do do uh, free consultations for anyone who wants to just chat about what's going on in their life. And if they need assistance, I, I'd love to help people. Okay, great. All right. Well, thank you again, Tim, for your time. And I wish you all the best for the future. And perhaps we can chat again. So if I'm not dead tomorrow. <laughs> you, you won't be dead tomorrow. You won't be dead tomorrow. Okay. Thank you. I Esther, appreciate it. Thank you for the time to uh, allow me to share the teachings of the Golden Ones. That ends the conversation with Tim. I trust that you gained wisdom from the second part as well as the first part of our episode of The Golden Ones. I actually received a in-depth astrology and numerology report from Tim and it's fascinating. There is so much in these reports about myself that I relate to. I can really resonate and connect with it. So please check out Tim's website, get a free consultation and make your own decision the reports are comprehensive and thorough, so I'm actually still reading through these reports and researching the information, so you know, perhaps you can learn something new about yourself. Check out the website. And yeah, remember people, have an open heart, have an open mind, live your life and be free. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.